70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hola amigos, soy Hugo Longhi de Rosario, Argentina. Hi, my name is Hugo Longhi and I'm from Rosario, Argentina. I started to listen to KBS World Radio in July 1990 and I have so many fond memories. One of the most unforgettable memories is my visit to Korea in 1996 at the invitation of KBS. It was a great opportunity for me to get to know more about the very modern country with thousands of years of tradition still intact. Of all the wonderful experiences, the visit to Panmujeom on the border of South and North Korea was very touching. As I tuned into KBS World Radio, I got to learn a lot about the country in the Far East that had been unfamiliar to me and became interested in everything that is going on over there. I hope KBS World will continue its shortwave radio transmission. I wish everyone good health and happiness and send greetings from Argentina. Thank you. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Monday the 6th of February and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang Three opposition parties have jointly submitted a motion to impeach Interior Minister Lee Sang-min over the government's mishandling of the Itaewon crowd crush. We'll have more in today's news briefing. The Seoul mayor has pointed to free subway rides for seniors as a key factor behind unsustainable losses for the Seoul metro, which is set to lead to a hike fare this April. We look into the situation for our in-depth today. And coming up for Monday's Sports Roundup, we find out about a national team player returning to the K-League, career success at the Davis Cup and more. Let's begin Career 24. In South Korea's political arena, three opposition parties jointly submitted a motion to impeach Interior Minister Lee Sang-min to hold him accountable for the government's mishandling of the Itaewon crowd crush last year. For more on this story and other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. Now, the main opposition Democratic Party has led this move and the Decision to impeach E has been one that the DP has been debating for a while. Uh, Now they have gone through with it. The People Power Party have called it an attempt to deflect attention from an ongoing investigation into the main opposition DP's leader. Can you tell us more? Well, on Monday, the main opposition Democratic Party, the Minor Justice Party and the Basic Income Party submitted a motion in Parliament to impeach Interior Minister Yi Sang-min. It started with the majority holding DP deciding to adopt the measure at a general meeting of its lawmakers. The main opposition bloc claims the minister had violated the Constitution and disaster and safety laws by failing to take appropriate steps in the aftermath of the Itaewon crowd crash last October and violated the parliamentary testimony law during a hearing by lying about his ministry's possession of a list of families and their contact info. 
DP floor leader Park Hong-gun said, to defend the values of the Constitution and to fulfill parliamentary duty to uphold the will of the public, they must hold the minister accountable for the tragedy. The ruling People's Power Party, however, accused the opposition of attempting to deflect attention from corruption allegations surrounding DP leader Lee Jae-myung. The DP plans to put the motion to a vote at a plenary session on Wednesday. Passage of the motion by a majority of lawmakers would result in a suspension of the minister's authority until the ruling by the Constitutional Court, an outcome that appears likely with the DP currently holding 169 out of 300 parliamentary seats. However, the role of prosecutor before the court would be assumed by a PPP lawmaker as the head of the National Assembly's Judiciary Committee. Last December, the DP unilaterally approved a non-binding motion to dismiss the minister, and it was rejected by President Yoon. Meanwhile, a memorial ceremony for the victims of the Itaewon crowd crush was held at the National Assembly. This was to mark the 100th day since the tragedy. It was set up on Sunday. Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo, the ruling and opposition party leadership and bereaved families attended the event hosted by the special parliamentary committee that investigated the Itaewon crowd crush. The speaker and party leaders were united in pledging efforts to prevent a recurrence of such a tragedy. Ruling PPP interim chief Chung Jin-seok promised to determine the cause and seek preventive steps. Main opposition DP leader Lee Jae-myung urged President Yoon, the government and the ruling party to Remember that the nation holds unlimited responsibility for the public's lives. The Brie families call for the establishment of a memorial altar at Seoul Plaza in front of City Hall, as well as the enactment of a special law to set up an independent investigative body. The bereaved families of the victims have built an unauthorized altar at Seoul Plaza, uh, but going back as far as Saturday, the city government rejected a request for it to be established at nearby Kwaman Square, and Seoul City said that the unauthorized altar would have to be dismantled. Uh, there was a deadline set for today, and there were concerns of physical altercations between the families and the police. Uh, Daniel, what ended up happening? Well, the Seoul City initially announced it would enforce an administrative execution removing the altar unless the families dismantled the memorial by themselves by 1 p.m. Monday. Discord between the families and the Seoul City government continued for the third straight day on Monday over the unauthorized establishment. Seoul City later said it will respond with rules and regulations noting administrative executions have customarily been enforced after two notifications. And on Monday evening, Seoul City decided to issue a second notice to the bereaved families asking them to remove the memorial altar. The families and civic groups are guarding the memorial around the clock, claiming the right to commemorate the victims. After the city government rejected a request to set up the altar in nearby Kwanghaman Square, the families abruptly built the altar on Saturday, a day before the 100th day since the October 29th tragedy. The city is authorized to issue an order to end unapproved occupation of South Plaza and to take necessary actions. The families have rejected the city government's proposal to set up the memorial at Nuksapyeong Station instead, nearby the site of the tragedy. OK, let's turn to some other headlines now. We have an update on another accident that occurred over the weekend. Bodies of crew members who went missing after a local fishing boat, the Chungbo, capsized in southwestern waters on Saturday, have been found. Uh, can you update us on the latest? Well, the latest was a body found on Monday afternoon from a fishing boat which capsized in southwestern waters on Saturday, according to the Mokbo branch of the Coast Guard. The body of a crew member identified as Yeo was found inside the vessel named Chungbo at 4.17 p.m. 
Earlier on Monday, rescuers found the body of a chief engineer of the vessel at 3.20 a.m. and the remains of two crew members inside the ship around noon. With the retrieval of the four bodies, five people, including the captain, remain missing. The 24-ton fishing boat carrying 12 crew members, including three foreign nationals, overturned in waters 16.6 kilometers west of Debichi Island off the southwestern county of Xinan, South Jala province, that is, at around 11 p.m. on Saturday. Three of the crew, reported to be two South Koreans and an Indonesian, were rescued by a nearby boat and taken to hospital for treatment. Rescue workers had difficulty entering the ship. Entangled fishing gear and nets blocked their path. They planned to bring the shipwreck out of the water around to search for the missing. In other news, the South Korean government has sided uh, with the United States over its decision to shoot down a suspected Chinese spy balloon. Washington's urging Beijing to explain the incident in a transparent manner at the moment. Uh, can you update us on uh, South Korea's statement? Well, on Monday, the official, an official from South Korea's foreign ministry said it is Seoul's position that an infringement of territorial sovereignty of another state cannot be tolerated under international laws, that Seoul understands Washington's concerns and that it has the right to take necessary steps to protect national security. On Saturday, an F-22 supported by other U.S. fighter jets brought down the high-altitude Chinese surveillance balloon in skies over the coast of South Carolina. Beijing protested what he called Washington's excessive response, contending that the balloon was not a spying aircraft but a civilian craft that had entered U.S. airspace by accident. When Seoul's defense ministry was asked whether the balloon could have flown over the Korean peninsula en route to the U.S., Tonagyu, the ministry's spokesperson, said the balloon did not appeared to violate South Korean airspace, as it had not been detected by the military's radar system. Meanwhile, South Korea is reportedly dealing with its own balloon incident. KBS has found that a presumed weather balloon from North Korea entered South Korean airspace for a few hours on Sunday. According to a senior military official on Monday, soldiers of a frontline unit in Yeoncheon County, Gyeonggi Province, spotted a two-meter balloon at around 6.30 p.m. on Sunday using a thermal observation device. The balloon flew at an altitude low enough for the soldiers to clearly identify it when it entered South Korea's airspace. The JCS reportedly received an immediate briefing and instructed the frontline unit to closely monitor the balloon after assessing that it was a weather balloon without giving further orders. The balloon was later spotted by frontline units along the eastern front and reportedly left South Korea's airspace in the direction of the East Sea after a few hours. Moving on, the government has decided to scrap the safe trucking freight rates system, which had been at the centre of a unionised cargo truckers strike that lasted 16 days late last year. Can you give us the latest? The government and the ruling bloc convened a meeting on Monday on ways to normalize the cargo transport sector and decided to introduce the standard trucking freight rate system. Similar to the safe trucking freight rate system, the new system would apply for three years, cover containers and cement trucks. And the goal is to prevent overwork and overloading by guaranteeing minimum freight rates for truck drivers. However, the proposed system will eliminate the clause in the previous system that penalizes consigners who fail to guarantee the minimum rates, essentially rendering it less compulsory. Under this system, the government will devise guidelines every year and truck drivers whose wages exceed a certain level will not be eligible to get such guarantees. The government and the ruling camp also decided to oust from the market companies that lease out commercial truck license plates to truck drivers for fees. The PPP plans to seek revisions to the Trucking Transport Business Act based on the latest decisions reached with the government. 
And finally, the foreign ministry said that there were no reports yet of South Korean casualties from a devastating earthquake that struck southeastern Turkey and northern Syria on Monday, killing hundreds. Can you tell us more? Well, the ministry official in Seoul said that as of 2 p.m. Monday, there were no reports of South Korean casualties. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, a 7.8 magnitude quake occurred at around 4.17 a.m. Monday in an inland area 33 kilometers from Gaziantep in the region of the country's border with Syria. So the number of deaths from the powerful quake reportedly surpassed 500. The AP and other foreign media said at least 284 people were killed and 2,383 were injured in Turkey alone. The Syrian health ministry said at least 237 people were dead and 639 were injured in Syria. So it is likely that the numbers could go up as time passes. Yes, our thoughts go out to those in the region. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Seoul residents have faced a sharp rise in living costs in recent weeks from increased taxi fares, soaring energy bills and high interest rates. Now another price hike is looming. Seoul City is considering raising its subway and city bus fares by 300 or 401 this April to address its snowballing financial deficits. Seoul Mayor Osehun pointed to free subway rides offered to those aged 65 and older as a key factor that has led to the losses for Seoul Metro or is demanding the government to share the burden deficit, but the government has so far refused. To learn more about the situation, we're joined on the line now by Lee Yonu, a reporter for the Korea Times. Nizi, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, Mr. Guan. Thank you for having me today. So the main issue we are going to address today is the free subway rides for those 65 or older. First, can you walk us through the free subway ride policy and how did it come about and what did it aim to achieve? Yes, so in Korea, every Korean nationals aged 65 or older is eligible for free subway rides, regardless of their income. It was first introduced in 1984 by the then Chun Du government. It was to enhance the welfare of the senior citizens. Well, actually, some senior citizens I met at the subway station, they told me that they are truly grateful for the policy, Mm. as they can go whenever they want without suffering from the financial issue. And according to a research of Korea Transport Institution, it helps reduce rates of suicide and depression, as well as medical fees by keeping senior citizens active. Right, so it's quite a unique and generous scheme. Are there similar policies in other countries as well? Well, actually, no. There is no country which lets senior citizens to enjoy free subway rights without any condition. For example, in the United States, it gives discounts from 30% to 50%, depending on counties. In France, senior citizens with low income are also guaranteed discounts from 20% to 80% from the fares. In the United Kingdom, the fare is free for most of the time, but it's not during peak hours. In Japan, the policy is different from cities, but it also gives discount to senior citizens aged above 70, considering their income. So Korea is 
quite unique in that way. And I believe that's why the ongoing debate about the policy is so fierce, which is there is no condition to the policy at all. Right. And this has led to the situation where the free subway rides policy has been pointed as a major contributor to financial issues being faced by Seoul Metro at the moment, the operator of uh, subway services in the capital region. It has, in fact, been in the red for years now. Can you first give us the details about Seoul Metro's deficit? How bad is it exactly? Yes, it's quite bad. From 2017 to 2021, it showed a deficit of 326.3 billion won annually. And Seoul Mayor Osehun said that since the start of the COVID-19, Seoul Metro has faced a deficit of 1 trillion won annually, which is equivalent to $8.1 billion. So it is a huge bill there. How damaging is the free ride policy itself, though, uh, to Seoul Metro's finances? How much has that contributed to the situation? Yes, according to O, seniors' free rides account for 30% of the deficit during the COVID-19. Before that, it took 60%. The problem is that Korea is a such a rapidly aging society. The number of senior citizens will only grow, which makes the deficit even more explosive in the future. Right, so the rapidly aging society in Korea is uh, further exacerbating this situation. Uh, But in order to mitigate the situation, the Seoul city government said it will seek to raise subway and bus fares by 300 or 401 in late April. That's a 24 to 32% increase on the current basic fare of 1,251 for the subway. And on top of that, Seoul Mayor Oseon is calling for a reform of the rate system for public transportation. Uh, Can you tell us more about uh, or stance on the free subway ride policy? Yes. O wants the finance ministry to actively intervene in the situation. The free ride policy has originated from a previous president's recommendation, you know, Chunduan, and not originated from the city government level. The policy is also backed up by senior, senior welfare law, which was enacted in 1984. So O's stance is that since central government has caused the deficit by enforcing the policy, the central government has to deal with the deficit. If they don't reimburse certain amount of the deficit, the city is planning to start discussion about restructuring the policy, and raising the free ride age is one of them. For example, you know, Daegu City, the nation's third largest city, is seeking ways to raise the eligible age for free rides to 70 from the current 65 by revising the local ordinance. But, you know, whether the city can achieve that has to be seen because the Ministry of Welfare and Health, which oversees senior welfare policies, said Monday that it will review whether Daegu's proposed plan would be possible under the current legal circumstances. Right, so on top of raising uh, the basic rates for subway rides in Seoul, uh, the city is also asking for, uh, from the government to consider raising uh, the age for eligibility for the free subway rides. Would that help Seoul Metro with its financial troubles? Is there any statistical data that says uh, this could be a good solution? 
Yes, recently Seoul Metro has released a new data, and it's quite surprising actually. So according to its data, seniors aged 65 and over took about 200 million free rides in 2022. The subway operator viewed that raising the eligible age to 70 could reduce losses by as much as 152.4 billion won. Okay, so uh, raising it could potentially uh, help the system. But what has uh, the Ministry of Economy and Finance's response been to the reform plans? Uh, They are quite firm, actually. The Ministry of Economy and Finance, they commented that it's difficult to use public money to benefit only a specific group of people, you know, elderly. So, for instance, most senior citizens who have no choice but to ride the bus or who don't reside in cities do not benefit from the policy, obviously. And it has political issues as well. Other local governments who are suffering from deficits in other areas will also seek help from the ministry if the ministry stops in this time. It's so obvious that Seoul City is not the only one who are suffering from the snowball deficits. But, you know, for the local government, it's hard for them to independently make decisions. On Sunday, Seoul City refused the ministry's claims and once again argued that the city government does not have the legal authority to make adjustments on its own. You know, things that things as such as age eligibility or discount rates. The city claimed that the free travel scheme policy is a central government scale measure applied to all, all people regard, regardless of their place of residency. You know, as such, it can be interpreted as an illegal move if a local government makes revisions to the policy. Right. So the local government needs uh, the green light from the government, essentially. But you also said this is a uh, becoming a political issue. Uh, what have the political parties been saying? Opinions vary, even in the ruling People Power Party. A leader of the People Power Party, Chu Ho-young, is the one who has responded positively of Seoul Mayor's suggestion. At the initial stage, he said he will discuss about raising the age or ways to deal with the deficits with the government. But however, Representative Yoon Sang-hyun, he is one of the contenders for the People Power Party's leadership race. He refuted the idea openly. He said raising subway fares and seeking efficiencies in Seoul Metro's management should come first, then the finance ministry's intervention. What he tries to mention about is that Seoul Metro's employees are receiving like higher wages than the other employees in like Seoul officials. Mm. So, and other representatives, such as Daegu City Mayor Hong Jun-pyo, however, he is in a slightly different stance than Seoul City Mayor Oh Se-hun. And he's the one who seeks to raise free ride age to 17. But he openly disagrees central government's financial support. He believes that each local government should determine its own policy as situation is different in each city. So he quite echoed the, fin- the Ministry of Economy and Finance stances. Right. So while Seoul Metro is in a financial black hole, it seems uh, even uh, members of, uh, in the same party are having disagreements of how to deal with it. Then... Moving forward then, looking ahead, how do you think the situation is going to pan out? So what does it look like at the moment? 
Well, I personally believe the finance ministry and local governments, you know, centering on Seoul City, will exchange competing claims at least for a while. Mm. But, you know, Mayor Oh is one of the key personnel in the People Power Party. So I believe they can eventually come up with an agreement. So one of the possible ways of that would be increasing eligible age of free rights. But the main issue would be the backlash from the senior citizens. Mm. The chairman of the Korea Senior Citizens Association, and that is one of the biggest senior associations of the country, he already expressed discomfort about the ongoing debate. He addressed the situation as elder abuse, which is quite harsh. And he said it's nonsense to receive more money from the elderly while number of jobs for them are reducing retirement age is getting younger but the thing is they have immense voting powers mm. households, households with elderly members age 65 and over account for 22.8 percent as of 2020 and what's funny is they will increase to 90 they will increase to 49.6 percent by 2047 so the key would be obtaining support from the elderly and in order to do so, as every policymaking process does, conversation and persuasion is the key. So it, the issue is quite complex, and I think that cannot be uh, determined at this moment. Right. So the elderly and the public need some convincing, of course, if they are going to go ahead with that uh, and at the same time not lose uh, that uh, key voting block, as you mentioned. Uh, the price hike... Considering the situation with the Seoul Metro's finances uh, is necessary, it seems. But uh, as well, the timing certainly comes at an unfortunate time currently when the cost of living in Korea has shot up in recent months. It is uh, set to be an additional burden for the public while uh, these discussions go on. We'll have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Ionu from the Korea Times. Uh, thank you for your report today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 42.21 points, or 1.70% on Monday, to close the day at 2,438.19. The Tekevi Kosdaq also fell, losing 5.46 points, or 0.71%, to close the day at 761.33. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 23.41 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,252.81. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, a daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Walter Lee joining us in the studio now. Walter, hello, it's good to see you. Hi, Chang-ho. It's always good to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? Okay, so first we'll talk about Busan's plan to breathe new life into its old downtown areas. We'll also learn about a court's ruling on a lawsuit that a customer filed against a restaurant after they suffered burns in the establishment. And finally, we'll find out how singer Jay Park fared in hosting KBS's new late-night music program on Sunday. 
Okay, so we begin in the southern port city of Busan for our first story. Can you tell us more? Yeah, right. So Busan City will launch a project to financially support tourists who reside in the city's old downtown areas for an extended period of time. Now, the Busan Metropolitan City announced on Sunday that it will accept applications through next Monday from business operators that are interested in being in charge of the project. Now, the project aims to provide tourists from both home and abroad 50,000 won, or roughly 40 US dollars per day, should they stay in the Jungdongso or Yongdo districts for more than seven days. So, this means a tourist who ends up staying in such districts for about a month would receive up to 1.5 million won in support funds. That's roughly around 1,100 US dollars. Wow. So essentially tourists will be paid right. to stay in certain areas of Busan. Why did the city devise such a project? Well, to breathe new life into these districts, which are regarded to be the old downtown areas. Now, these districts face the risk of economic re- regression as they've seen a demographic exodus at a fast rate. Now, tourists who get such support will have to task of the, the task of posting photos and videos of key tourist spots in the four districts on their social media. Mm. Other than revitalizing these four areas, the city is hoping that the project will provide the opportunity to discover new content that would attract more tourists. I see. So there are some uh, social media obligations Mm -hmm. for uh, staying in these areas for that benefit. Uh, So when will the city be selecting operators for the project? As early as this April. So it plans to kick off the project in full scale after the selection is made. Now, meanwhile, on Tuesday, a ceremony will be held in Asti Hotel in Busan's Dong District to mark the opening of a workstation centre. Busan plans to establish through next year around 10 more such centres in the areas that are seeing or are at risk of seeing a decline in population. This is part of efforts to become a city that is equipped with infrastructures that accommodate both business and leisure needs. Well, it's certainly an interesting idea to pay tourists to stay in these areas. We'll see if businesses and tourists uh, do take up the offer to help the district. Okay, let's uh, move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so a court has ordered a restaurant in Ulsan City to pay 18 million won, roughly around 14,000 US dollars, in compensation to a customer who suffered burns to their ankle after a server spilled hot soup on them. Now, the Ulsan District Court issued the verdict on Monday on the lawsuit filed by the customer against the franchise restaurant. Okay, can you tell us a bit more about the incident itself? When did it take place? Okay, so in November. Uh, 2017. Now, this customer visited the restaurant and ordered galbitang or short rib soup. When the server brought over the soup, they spilled it, resulting in the customer suffering severe burns to their ankle. They filed the lawsuit after they ended up being hospitalized to treat the burns. Initially, another court had ordered the restaurant to pay 17 million won in damages, but the restaurant appealed saying that the customer should have also been held accountable for not being careful. Okay, so the appeals court held up the ruling in favour of the customer. What was the court's main argument on Monday in issuing its ruling? So the court refused to accept the restaurant's appeal and found no fault with the customer, saying the restaurant obscurely claimed the customer's carelessness while failing to provide any evidence that the customer committed an error in terms of safety. The court went on to say that the customers believe that they will get their meals safely and hygienically when they stop into a restaurant. The court added that restaurants have the obligation to serve hot food in a safe manner. Right, so uh, the restaurant's claims seem quite tenuous. I imagine these sorts of cases happen quite a fair bit, but uh, perhaps the uh, parties don't take it quite Mm. as far in the courts uh, usually. Well, it certainly sets an interesting precedent. 
Okay, let's move on to our final story. What else do you have for today? Yeah, so previously on the show, we talked about how the singer and producer Jay Park, or Park Jae-bom, will be hosting a new music talk show on KBS, the broadcasting company's first in around seven months. Now, the season's Park Jae-bom Drive premiered on Sunday, and many around the country are reading how the new host got on. And it looks like reviews have generally been positive. During the show's first episode, Park wowed viewers with his free-spirited views, smooth ad-libs, and fresh take on hosting. <laughs> now, such charm was evident when he welcomed singer-songwriter Lee Chan-hyok, veteran folk music singer Yang Hee-eun, rapper Lee Young-ji, and hip-hop singer Crush to the stage on Sunday. Right, that's quite an array of guests. Now, this is the uh, first music talk show on KBS since July of last year, right, mm. when uh, the popular show uh, Yu Sketchbook came to an end due mm. to scandals surrounding the show's host. Uh, I'm sure Jay Park, therefore, would have felt quite a bit of pressure leading up to uh, Sunday's uh, premiere. Yeah, I'm sure he would have. So the seasons would be continuing the 30-year streak of KBS TV's late-night music shows, which first began back in 1991, first starting with a small concert with No Young Shim. It was followed by the Lee Moon Se show, Lee Sora Propose, Yoon Do-hyun Love Letter, and the latest in the series, which you just mentioned earlier, Yu Hyo Sketchbook. Now, these previous hosts had extensive knowledge of, of not just magic, uh, music sorry, and singers, but also various fields with the capacity to lead a show smoothly, putting guests at ease while keeping viewers interested. Now, take note that the season won't have a single presenter, but will have a total of four hosts, including Park, for a year, with each host having one season. Right, so it could even act as an audition of sorts, right. I guess. Uh, do we know what the show's producers thought of uh, Pak's performance as host? Yeah, we do. So the show's producer, Yi chang had said in a press conference that when filming began for the first episode, he was seriously concerned because Pak's hosting was not in sync with the scripts that the staff had worked on extensively. However, he said after finishing the show's recording, he was satisfied with having picked Pak as the new host. He had faced the challenge of continuing KBS's 30-year tradition of late-night music shows while also at the same time coming up with something new for the audience. Right, so Jay Park's free spirit seems to have uh, come out a bit and been a bit been a bit of a challenge for the producers but I think that's probably what the audiences enjoyed right. as well we'll see how he gets on in the rest of the season in the meantime we leave it there for today's career trending Walter thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time see you next time It's time now for Monday Sports Roundup, our weekly update from the world of Korean sport. Joining me now for that is our invaluable contributor, sports reporter Yu Jiu from the Yanap News Agency. Jiu, hello. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to be here. Okay, so we've got some baseball news and some tennis news as well. But first, we start with football. The Korean international, Hwang Yijo, has returned to the K-League. FC Seoul acquired him on a six-month loan from Olympiakos, and Hwang will get a fresh start after struggling to find his footing in Greece. It's been disappointing after playing pretty well in France before, but first, Jiho, can you give us the details of the deal? Sure. Well, Hwang Rizou agreed to a six-month loan to FC Seoul. He will be playing in the K-League for the first time since 2017 when he was with Sangnam FC. 
He later went on to play for Gamba Osaka in Japan, uh, Bordeaux, like you mentioned, in France, and, and of course, uh, Olympiacos in Greece. And he never really established himself in their, in their country, uh, only, appearing in only 11 matches in all competitions, no goals, uh, one assist, and he last played in, in the Greek league in the middle of October. So, uh, you know, that obviously contributed to his underwhelming performance at the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, he lost his starting job to Chogyu Sang. So one thing led to another. Uh, at that point, I think he felt that he needed a place to play. Now, with FIFA rules on transfers, players are not allowed to compete for two clubs, actually more than two clubs in the leagues following the same schedule within the same season. Mm. So in Huang's case, he played for Bordeaux in France and at the start of this season, and of course uh, he played for Olympiacos. So both French and the Greek leagues play over two calendar years from 2022 to 2023. Mm. So this meant he couldn't find a team in Europe under FIFA rules, but he was allowed to play in Korea or Japan or even the U.S. Uh, with you know some of the MLS teams uh, like the Chicago Fire showing interest in Huang because their seasons are within a single calendar year. And FC Seoul, uh, you know, they're getting a short-term fix uh, for their scoring woes. Uh, they were second to last in goals last season in the K-League. And Huang Mijo obviously uh, will almost certainly get regular playing time. And I think, you know, that's going to allow him to stay sharp and stay ready for a better performance in Europe uh, next season. Yeah, Jiho, it's been a really tough six months for him, hasn't it? His uh, move to Olympiacos has not worked out. Although he played in the first game of the World Cup, he missed a guilt-edged chance in that first game and then was dropped to the bench subsequently. Uh, he's 30 years old now, so he's approaching the back end of his career. Do you think he's still got enough in him to be able to make it back in Europe if he can find his form again at FC Seoul? Yeah, you know, this is really a make-or-break season for him, I think. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot riding for him, like you said, at his age, in his age of 30 season where he's going to turn 31 later this year. Uh, yeah, I, you know, he led Bordeaux in scoring back-to-back seasons and then the team got relegated to the second division. He wanted to go somewhere, somewhere else. Uh, he ended up in Greece uh, for one reason or another. Just never found his footing. Uh, just didn't get into games. And, you know, I think as much as FC Zone needed Huang, you know, he needed this team. Mm. He needed a chance to play on a regular basis, whether it was in Korea, Japan, or U.S., he just had to find somewhere where he could play. And then, uh, you know, he said today, actually, that let's see what happens after six months, uh, at which time the European season will be over, the new season will be about to begin. Uh, You know, if he does well here uh, for half a year, uh, I think he's going to potentially draw some interest just because of his recent history in France. Uh, But if not, uh, you know, there's no telling whether where where is he going to end up uh, for the rest of his career. He might be just staying, staying put in Korea or he might be able to find some other opportunity, opportunities overseas. But uh, if he doesn't play well in K-League, it's going to be hard for him to find another chance to play in Europe. Well, I certainly hope he can find his scoring boots and I'm interested to see how he does back in the K-League, which kicks off on February 25th. Uh, on to baseball now. Chejiman of the Pittsburgh Pirates has been dropped from the Korean national team for the upcoming World Baseball Classic. He had elbow surgery in November and his uh, new team in Pittsburgh submitted their uh, medical objection over his participation. Jiho, can you tell us more? Sure. And the medical objection was granted by the WBC organizing committee. So the deadline to make any changes on medical regions for teams is Wednesday Korean time. 
And the KBO waited until the last minute to see if Che could stay on this team. So his participation has, had always been in doubt because of the elbow surgery in November to remove a bone fragment. Um, he's still not 100% back. And the fact that he was actually traded to Pires this offseason, and you know he's going to need to He's going to need some time. He's going to need to take some time during spring training to get acclimated to his new team. Uh, the players who have switched teams in the off-seasons have typically skipped the WBC for similar reasons. Um, so Korea, you know, they were prepared to make that last-minute change mm. in case Choi couldn't go. So they selected SSU Landers outfielder Choi Ji-hoon to take Choi Ji-man's spot. He's a speedy outfielder, elite defender, uh, but now... You know, they didn't actually end up picking a first baseman after dropping Che Ji-man. So they've only got two natural first basemen in Park Byung-ho and Kang Baek-ho. Outfielder and captain Kim Hyun-soo does have a little bit of experience in playing first base. But other than that, uh, they've got six outfielders now, some, some speed, really good defense on the bench. So they figured in a short tournament like the WBC, they can use another outfielder, outfielder rather than take another first baseman. Yes, of course, this is going to be a loss for the Korea national team. But as we said, it wasn't unexpected. And it'll be good for him to get ready for the upcoming season playing for the Pirates. Uh, We look forward to seeing how he fares uh, there this year as well. Finally, moving on to tennis. Korea shocked Belgium to win the Davis Cup qualifiers and reach the finals for the second straight year. Jio, it's uh, quite the achievement. And I understand that Korea won all three matches held on Sunday for a thrilling comeback. Yeah, it was a pretty thrilling comeback indeed. Korea knocking off Belgium 3-2 after four singles and one doubles matches in Seoul over the weekend. So Korea dropped both singles matches on Saturday to get pushed to the brink. Uh, but then they won the doubles and the two singles matches on Sunday to stage the comeback. So they will be making the fifth appearance uh, in the Davis Cup Finals. will be the first time that Korea will be playing at back-to-back Davis Cup Finals for the last 16 countries standing. In the first doubles matches on Sunday, Song Mingyu and Nam Ji-sung defeated uh, Joran Villigan and Xander Jill in straight sets. These Korean players, Song and Nam, they're ranked 147th and 152nd in the world compared to 53rd and 55th for the, for the Belgians. So world rankings, if you look at on paper, it was going to be a no match for Koreans, but they somehow pulled this off. And then Kwon Sunu, the top-ranked Korean at number 61, defeating uh, David Goffin, world number 41, 3-6-6-1-6-3 to level this contest. And finally, world number 237, Hong Sung-chan, shocked Zizu Bergs in straight sets with the Belgian coming in 122 places above him in the world rankings. So, you know, guys like someone like Hong, he's a defensive specialist. He can be pretty frustrating to play against. And Bergs had 51 on-force errors. That's 30 more than Hong and lost his temper in the second set tiebreak as well. So the Davis Cup Finals will begin in September with the group stage, followed by the knockout stage in November. Uh, last year, Korea was eliminated in the group stage after losing to eventual champion Canada, Spain, and Serbia. And hopefully, you know, they're going to maybe try to pull out a win this time in the group mm. stage. Sure, it'll be tough again this year, but it should be another great experience for the players. And the fact that it's two years in a row now reaching the finals is certainly an encouraging sign for Korean tennis. OK, we'll wrap it up there. Jiwa, as ever, thank you for the updates. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again next time. You too. Thanks for having me. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. 
On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. It's time to finish up the show as usual with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald, who we thank for providing us with their early editions to make this segment possible. And now our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us in the studio to tell us about what he's seen. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay, so what's the first article that you have chosen for us? First is Park Yuna's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald. The article is about the Korean avant-garde artist Lee Sung-tek, who at 90 years old has his own solo show in New York. Wow, 90 years old yes. and still going strong, it seems. That's uh, incredible. Uh, before we talk about the show, can you tell us a bit more about the artist? Uh, give us a brief background. Sure. Lee has been a big figure in the Korean avant-garde art scene since the 1960s and is seen as a pioneer. The artist takes everyday objects and uses materials such as string or twine to bind them together as a way to change the way people think about the materials. The article mentions that one of his most well-known works, his Binding series, is a rejection of conventional methods of creating sculptures, so quite a unique creativity. Mm. And even at 90 years old, Lee is still making new pieces. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So tell us about the new show in New York, no less. The show is called Sung Tech Lee, Things Unstable, and it was opened by a non-profit contemporary art institution called Canal Projects. The institution was established in September last year to help show forward-thinking artists in the global art scene. 17 of Lee's works with three different themes are displayed at the show. They are non-material, binding, and photo pictures. In the non-material series, Lee visualizes natural phenomena such as wind, fire, or smoke in performances or installations. The article goes into more detail about the works that will be displayed until May 22nd, including the one that 90 year old created specifically for the show called In Drawing Wind Performance. Okay, so one to check out in New York until May, as you said. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Next, we have some K-pop and Webtoon news coming from Park Hansel's article in the culture section of the Korea Times. So apparently there is a Webtoon called Dark Moon, The Blood Altar, and it is inspired by the K-pop group N-Hyphen. It is released weekly, and according to the group's agency, Hybe, the Webtoon has reached 100 million views. Wow, that is impressive. Uh, judging from the title, it doesn't sound like it's an autobiographical story <laughs> of the group N-Hyphen, but uh, the Webtoon has been made in collaboration with the agency then? It was, and as a way to expand the artist's brand. The fantasy webtoon features all seven members of the group as werewolves. The story follows a new student called Suha, a vampire, who transfers to the school and draws the attention of the werewolves. These types of stories have been popular in the past, for example, the Twilight movies, and more recently the series Wednesday. Mm. 
What's interesting is that the small details of the webtoons are featured in the group's songs and music videos, so they're like a little Easter egg for the fans. I see. And uh, with 100 million views, I presume that it's not just a hit with uh, domestic fans, but fans abroad as well. Exactly. It's been just over a year since the webtoon began, and it looked like a hit as it reached the top five in Neva's webtoons English, German, Spanish, Chinese, Thai, French, and Indonesian <laughs> charts. So every chart, <laughs> yes. it seems like... It seems like this might become a trend, as other groups that are under HYBE, BTS and TXT, also have comics that have been released. Right, so interesting uh, crossovers between the K-pop and Webtoon worlds. Mm. Uh, we've talked uh, quite a lot about how Webtoons are growing in recent years, so it certainly seems like uh, this is one area that uh, the K-pop industry is trying to tap into as well. OK, we'll wrap it up there for today's uh, Morning Edition preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. And that's why we wrap it up for today as well. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Tune in to One Fine Day with Lena Park, enjoying the K-pop diva for two fine hours every weekday. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-woo helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with global audiobook Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in!